The following resource is from Christ Community Church. For more information, please visit lovinglord.org. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for being a God who communicates clearly to his people. And we praise you for this call to not only hear and understand, but to live out this great faith by the power of your spirit. I ask, Lord, today, next week, and maybe the week after, that you would take all that we've learned over these past ten months, all the the deep and great teachings about the coming of your Son, his reigning upon a throne, the judgment that is upon the wicked, the eternal blessings upon the righteous. Take all that that we've learned, Father, and be gracious this morning to compel your children to live in accordance with it. We do not want to be, as James said, hearers of the word who do not do. We want to hear and do by your spirit. And so if you would, Father, bless Christ Community Church this morning with that. If you do, Lord, if you answer that single prayer, we will be a brilliant testimony to the lost here in this mission field. We want to bring you honor and glory in that way, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Again, second time. This time I'm not in water. <clears throat> I've always said there's, there's really nothing better than preaching with a wet sleeve. Maybe I'm going to call it wet sleeve preaching. You know, you get a chance to baptize and your arm's wet. So every time I move it, I feel the coolness of the water and I get to think about the baptism. I'm very, very thankful for that. The title of the sermon is Preparation, Not Procrastination. Preparation, Not Procrastination. Procrastination, according to Webster, is this. Listen, to put off intentionally the doing of something that should be done. Now, I don't think I really need to define that term for you. I think most of us relate well to procrastination. It's something that, for many of us, our flesh excels in, waiting to do that which we should be doing now. We, we wait to study for an exam. We wait to get that report ready for our employer. We wait to start that new exercise program that we're going to do next week, and then next week, And sometimes, some of you know, sometimes you can wait and you can pull it off. Sometimes. And other times you can't and there are consequences, unwanted consequences for your procrastination. The fiancé who won't commit to a wedding date loses his future spouse. The young couple that waits to have children find themselves struggling to have children. And of course, all of us in school waiting too long to do an assignment until the night before. Now, as a teacher, I can tell you, that it was amazing to me. I would spend the entire semester talking to, teaching, preparing. I would even give study guides for exams. And without question, the large majority procrastinated until the day before or the night before. And so I actually went and looked up. (laughs) The data tells us that 80% or more of students procrastinate on a regular basis when it comes to papers and exams. That does not surprise me. What does surprise me is how we think we can do it and still be successful. Um, And now some of you are like that. Some of you can wait to the end, you study, and you get the grade, but you're not really retaining much of that. And I would say very little transformation is taking place. My best students over the years have been those students who over the course of the semester, 16 weeks, have studied and thought and studied and thought, and then they took the test. Not only did they get a good grade, but it actually became part of who they were. They didn't procrastinate. What did they do? They, They prepared, right? Preparation in many ways is the opposite of procrastination. So listen to Webster on this. Preparation, the action or process of making something ready for use or service. The action or process of making something, or we can say, in the context of this passage, someone ready for use or service. My beloved, the book of Revelation ends with this wake-up call to all of us who are in some spiritual procrastinating state. In fact, from verse 6 on to the end of the book, that is all that God is doing in speaking to John. It's calling us to submit to and to keep and to obey everything that he said up through chapter 21 and the beginning of 22. Now, and, and, and it's appropriate for us to be there. All Satan, sin, and evil, all in rebellion against God, they're in now in the lake of fire. The picture is that all of God's redeemed now are in his presence. They're in the new Jerusalem. They have full access to God. God is receiving all glory and honor. He's made the new Jerusalem as an eternal home to dwell with his people. And so the story is coming to an end. And verse 6 on tells us, because of this ending, 
he calls us, he calls the church to live in a particular way. He calls us to be prepared for the coming of Christ. Not to procrastinate, but to prepare for his imminent return. In fact, that is the drumbeat for the remainder of the book. And, and I'd like to, this morning, since we're looking, we're only going to look at verses 6 through 13, I, I want us to consider, in light of Jesus coming soon, in light of his imminent return, I want, to, want us to consider three ways we should prepare right now, today and every day, until he calls you or until he comes. Three ways that I'd like us to prepare ourselves. Number one, Jesus is coming soon, so keep his word. Number two, Jesus is coming soon, so worship God. And number three, Jesus is coming soon, so tell the nations. Jesus is coming soon, so keep his word, worship God, and tell the nations. The theme of the sermon is probably apparent. Jesus' coming requires preparation, not procrastination. The question is, are you ready? Jesus' coming requires preparation, not procrastination. And are you, my beloved, are you ready? Are you, are you ready? I'm going to start preaching now. Ready? Point number one. Jesus is coming soon, so keep his word. Look at verse six. Verse six. And he, it's most likely an angel. Some say it's Christ, but I believe it's an angel. And he, an angel, said to me, speaking to John, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So the angel of the Lord looks at everything that John had written down, all that we've been looking at for these past 10 months. The angel looks at John's writing, the very inscriptions that you have in your hand, and he says, these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, he's saying, they're right. They're correct words. They are the words of God that we've been looking at now for the past 10 months. He said, the same God who inspired the prophets of old, the same God who inspired the writings in the New Testament, the same God spoke to John and told John what? What must soon take place. These end of days, this end of time, how God's story is going to close with the judgment of the wicked, the redemption of God's people, and the restoration of all creation. Now, if you, if you remember, maybe you don't, but 10 months ago, we started Revelation chapter one, and it started in a very similar fashion. And, and most would argue that uh, Revelation one verses one through three and here, bookend 22, they are literal bookends. We start and we finish with the same mindset. Listen, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 and following. This is how we started the book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things that what? Must soon take place. And then he said in verse 3, Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in this book, for the time is near. And so we started off with the same emphasis. We are at the end of the story. These things are going to soon take place, and therefore those who hear and obey are those who are blessed. The sense of urgency, the sense of keeping because Christ is coming. Look at verse seven again. And behold, I am coming soon, Jesus said. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now for 10 months, I have tried, and I pray you have tried, to work through one of the more difficult books in the New Testament, and some would say the entire Bible. And it is my prayer, and I have been praying, that you have a much better understanding now of the book of Revelation, what it means and what it does not mean. And in that understanding, you're able to read it through yourself and grow in wisdom and knowledge. But beyond that, what the emphasis we get here at the very end of the book is not just hearing and understanding, it is obeying. It is keeping now what you've heard. So it's keeping the imperatives we saw in the book of Revelation. It's living now in accordance with these truths that Christ is coming soon, that he's gonna judge living in the dead, that he's gonna establish his kingdom. And so we ask ourselves, are we living as Christians? Are we following Christ? Am I still living as a citizen of Babylon? Or do I live now as a citizen of the new Jerusalem? That's the question being posed to us and will be today in the next couple weeks. And, and I, I don't think the problem for most of us is knowing how we're supposed to live. I think that even before you started with us 10 months ago in the book of Revelation, you knew, according to God's word, how God expects you to live in holiness. The problem for most of us and the problem for most Christians today is not knowing how to live, it's being motivated to live holy lives. It's the motivation. It's the internal desire to keep and to obey God's word. Well, this passage has three gems for you to tell you why you should 
And I want you to be motivated by this, why you should keep the word of God in accordance with the book of Revelation. First, time. Time is not on your side. It doesn't matter how young you are. If you're older, you know time's not on your side. Time is not on your side because Jesus is coming. The time is near. In fact, seven times in the book of Revelation, I only get a chance. Seven is the number of perfection. Seven times it says Jesus is coming soon. Jesus' return is imminent. Jesus is coming. The time is near. Seven times we're told that. And that means to hear the word of God and to not obey, listen with all your might, is the height of foolishness. If you know Christ is coming, and you know this is how the story ends, and you know that living in disobedience to God will bring judgment, not redemption, then it's foolish to hear and not obey. My beloved, if you, if you found out that you were diagnosed with cancer and your, your doctor said to you, listen, you have a 75% chance, increased chance of surviving this, of beating this, if you immediately begin a regimen of chemotherapy and radiation, if you allow us to do surgery on you and you work through this process, your chances of survival are significantly better than if you do not. But you, you dilly-dally, you take a full year doing research on the type of cancer that you have and you ask multiple doctors, multiple opinions, and you even seek out alternative treatments and at the end of the year you find yourself, you find your body filled with this cancer and death now is imminent. And you go back to your doctor and say, now what must I do? He said, it's too late. You waited. You didn't heed my counsel. You didn't keep my doctoral counsel. To remain in rebellion against God by not living according to the revealed truths, not just of the book of Revelation, but the whole Bible, even though you know Christ is coming back soon, to do that, my beloved, is to be overtaken by the cancer of sin and to have death be imminent for you too. It's like you saying to the great physician, I don't need Christ, I don't need salvation, I don't need forgiveness. Christ come, you will perish in your sins. We do not want to be like the scoffers that Peter talks about. In 2 Peter chapter 3, listen, I know you say, well that's not me, that's the unbeliever. Oftentimes we scoff at Christ's return and we do that in how we live. Peter said scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. Listen. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation until now. And we live like that, don't we? We live as though he's not coming. Everything's been the same. Everything remains the same. Even after I die, it'll be the same. We don't want to be foolish like the scoffers that Peter points out. Christ is coming, the end is at hand, and only the foolish will think otherwise. Amen? Now, none of us want to be fools. Second reason you should be motivated to live a life that is pleasing to God is because the angel says here what? These words that we've studied now for 10 months, he said they're trustworthy and they're true. In other words, all the events that we looked at, all the visions, these eschatological visions in heaven and on earth, all the cycles of evil that we saw take place in the judgment, everything that God spoke to John about that, God, that, that John recorded here are true words. They're not opinions. They're not, you know what, maybe the world will end like this. It's not one of multiple perspectives that may come true. Jesus Christ revealed these to John. John wrote them down. They are true without error. They're from God. God cannot lie. Trustworthy and true words. Now, I don't need to tell you, if you go against truth, if you push against reality, what is true, your life is going to become very difficult here on earth, and we would say infinitely difficult when you come before the judgment seat of God. The most recent mess that it's still hard for me, and maybe it is for you too, um, to get my head around, is the inability to distinguish as a culture now, and it's made its way into some churches, the inability to distinguish between male and female. One of the most binary distinctions from the very beginning in Genesis chapter one was God created them what? In his image he created them male and female. And yet we as a culture, we deny this basic truth, this basic biological truth. We tell little boys and we tell little girls, you can choose your gender, you can take these life-altering hormones, you can even have painful, irreversible surgery without any long-term consequence. We pervert truth. 
Currently, to date, in the United States, we have destroyed tens of thousands of lives. We're on track to destroy millions. Why? Because we are denying truth, and we're teaching children something contrary to what is real. C.S. Lewis was right. You've probably heard this before. You can't go against the grain of the universe. You can't go against truth and reality without expecting to get splinters. Now, I don't know about you. I hate splinters, but these are eternal splinters. These are splinters caused by you kicking against the goads and rejecting the very truths of God Almighty. You can't go against the trustworthy and true words of God as revealed in this book. Hearing, listen, but not doing and not expect splinters. So you should keep the words of this book because the time is near. Keep it because the words are true and I'll, I'll give you one more before my second point. You want to keep them because you're blessed if you do. Look at verse 7 again. Jesus said, and behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This is the sixth of seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. And said, those who, who keep this, because he's coming soon, those who hear and obey, they're going to be blessed in Jesus' coming. Now, and we looked at this last week. We looked at what it was, right? The blessed life. The blessed life was having what? All the provisions that you need as someone creating the image of God. Yes, you say all the food and the drink and the clothes and the shelter, but the ultimate provisions of God satisfying the depth of your heart. You have all that. You have the ultimate protection of God Almighty. No internal, no external threat to you ever again. You have purpose now in Christ to serve God and reign with the Lord. And of course, we saw the best part about the blessed life is you get to have communion with God forever and ever. You get to spend eternity dwelling in the house of God, him knowing you, you seeing his face, knowing him as he truly is, and him knowing you as you truly are. For whom? For all those who hear and keep. For all those who hear and obey. My beloved, this is such a relevant message for the Western church today. We hear, we understand, we put a high priority on cognition. I want to know the wisdom of God. I want to know the knowledge of God. The real question we want to ask ourselves is, in knowing it, are you doing it? Because if you know it and you don't do it, that makes you what? Well, that makes you a hypocrite. And we know what Jesus had to say to the hypocrites in his day. Some of the harshest words in the entire New Testament by our Lord are to the hypocrites, those who know and do not do, those who understand but do not keep. Great motivation, I think, for us in obeying God's word. There's this great story of a missionary who was translating the language of his people group, this particular tribe. And this particular tribe, um, it was not normative in their behavior to obey. In fact, disobedience was prevalent. And there wasn't even a word in the original language for obey. Well, that's, that's going to be challenging to translate the New Testament of the Bible without the word obey in it, without the word keep in it. And so this missionary was walking home from um, one day from the... Uh, um, the little community in which they lived, and he was walking home, and he, and he called out to his dog. And this dog came running to his master to meet his master and to receive his evening treat. And there was an old native sitting by, and he said admiringly, listen to what he said in his native tongue, he said, your dog is all ear. Your dog is all ear. And immediately the missionary knew his word for obedience. In the language, it was going to be all ear. Someone who hears and then responds immediately. Someone who hears and obeys, does not procrastinate. Are you all ear? Could we say that your life of obedience is like this dog's when it comes to Jesus Christ and his word? In Luke chapter 12, when Jesus was talking about this need to obey with his coming, listen to what he said to his disciples. He said, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, so doing his word so obeying, so keeping. And then he said, truly I say to you, the master will set him over all his possessions. That's the inheritance of the earth we talked about. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and he will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. That's what happens when we hear and understand and do not obey the word of God. My beloved, I pray, I do, I pray these last several months have been 
um, truly edifying for you. I pray you understand the book of Revelation now much more than you did 10 months ago. But so much more than that, I pray that you are obeying what you now know. Merely understanding is insufficient for the follower of Jesus Christ. The blessings of eternal life only come to those who are all ear. You hear, you understand, and you obey. Amen? All right, so first, Jesus is coming soon, so keep his word. He's coming soon, keep his word. Number two, Jesus is coming soon, so worship God. So Jesus speaks, he says, I'm coming soon. Blessed are those who keep my word. Blessed are those who understand my word. And then John I gotta tell you, this part of the passage is really strange. John does something very unexpected and we would say not so good. Look at verse eight. I, John, so John's now speaking. Jesus just spoke. Now John says, I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things. And, and that's in there to affirm that everything that, that we've studied for 10 months, John received from God or from an angel of God and then wrote it down. In other words, the book of Revelation, John is telling us has what? It has apostolic authority. Those commissioned by God to receive his word and communicate these truths. John says, I'm the one. I heard it. I've recorded it. So we don't want to doubt the authority of the book of Revelation, which some have actually. We want to say, yes, this is the word of God. He affirms that. And then John continues. Look at the, continue reading in verse 8. And when I heard and saw them, these teachings and visions, when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Now, you, you can't read through this part of Scripture and not stop and say, what? Maybe that was, maybe that was a misprint. Maybe the scribes transcribed it incorrectly. It's in his, shouldn't it say he fell down and worshiped at the feet of God? It's John writing it. Didn't he want to change that? I mean, what a, what a horrible thing, right? And you say, well, how could that happen? Well, angels were, are glorious creatures. We've seen how they've manifest themselves. They're glorious so there would be a tendency for man to worship. But even more so than that, I mean, the visions have been extraordinary. I think about the magnificence and the glory of these visions and then the teaching they've communicated, the incredible blessing that's gonna come to God's people and God faithfully judging all evil. The teachings are over the top. And so John, overcome with a desire to worship, he makes the mistake of bowing down and worshiping an angel that God created rather than God the creator. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> he, the angel, said to me, <clears throat> I, imagine, I imagine the voice of the angel was a bit elevated here. My, the ESV translation, there's no punctuation like this in the extent manuscripts, but it says, you must not do that, exclamation point. Uh, I, I imagine that the angel was not pleased for lots of reasons. Not only did he not want John worshiping him, but he did not want to be worshiped. He knows the consequences of that. You must not do that, the angel said. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. So just like, just like John bowed down in Revelation chapter 9 to the angel and the angel says, you must not do that. This angel says the same thing. You must not do that. Do not bow down to me. Do not bow down to any angel. Do not bow down to any created thing of any kind. Idolatry is really, really, really bad. Worshiping, giving ultimate value to anyone or anything than God is worthy of death. Not a person, not an angel, not the moon, not the stars, not your work, not your marriage, not your finances. Whatever idol you want to put in that category, it is worthy of death. This angel understood that. So he says to John, do not do that. The angel says, I'm a servant just like you. I'm a servant just like all the Old Testament prophets, those who keep the word of this book. All true Christians who hear and obey know that they are to worship God and God alone. You know, I was thinking about this particular verse, and it could be, I think it could be the thesis statement for the entire book, right? You must not worship anything or anyone other than God. Worship God. You remember, you remember the throne room experience? I just had a chance to read to you Revelation chapter 5. Do you remember, remember the first throne room experience in Revelation chapter 4? John gets a glimpse of God on the throne. Just listen, I'll just read a piece of it. John says, at once, this is Revelation 4, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on him. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. 
And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. And you remember what all those around the throne who were gazing upon God, you remember what they were doing? This is Revelation 4, verse 11. They were saying this, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. In every single one of John's visions, where they're in the presence of the Lamb or they're in the presence of God the Father on the throne, there's no confusion over worship. There's no temptation to turn to a created thing and worship it rather than the Creator Himself. Now this, my beloved, this should be intuitive, right? To show you how powerful our flesh is. It should be intuitive to know it's better to worship the Creator of something than the something itself, right? The Creator has to be greater than the creation, has to be. When we, when we, look, upon, when we look upon one another and, and we see that human beings, we, are, we truly are fearfully and wonderfully made, are we not? Even, even as sinful creatures, even as fallen creatures, you cannot help but look upon man and think, amazing, a mankind is amazing. When we look upon a harvest moon or a, a fall sunset, or for those of you who like to travel over to the Monterey Bay. You can't stand on that coastline and look at that turquoise water and those white waves and not think, amazing. It is truly amazing. But infinitely more amazing is the one who made all those things. The maker of heaven and earth. You know intuitively that the one who made all of this ex nihilo out of nothing must be greater in beauty and majesty. Otherwise, they cannot have beauty and majesty, right? If we see greatness in the creation, if we see majesty and glory and beauty and wonder in the creation, then the creator must have it. And not only must he have it, he must have it at an infinitely greater degree than that which you see in creation. Right? Psalm 95, listen, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Listen to this. In his hand are the depths of the earth. In his hand. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, the psalmist says. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Not creation, not an angel, not a man, not your job, but the maker of the heavens and the earth. Now, most of us who know the Lord know this struggle all too well, do we not? We know we're supposed to worship God. We know he's worthy of all glory and honor. And yet what do we do? We turn again and again, sometimes on a daily basis, to that which he has made and we give it ultimate worship. Just like John bowing down to this angel. We claim to be what? Christians claim to be monotheists. We worship one God. And yet functionally, I would have to say our lives are are very polytheistic. We have lots of little gods in our lives. And it's not that It's not that you just stop worshiping the one true living God. You just smuggle in all these other little gods. So you say, no, Yahweh, the Lord, he's the one I worship the most. But then I worship these other things too. And so we become polytheistic in the way we live. It's not as though John wasn't saved. I mean, this is the apostle. This is the beloved disciple of Jesus Christ. Of course he's saved. Of course he knows the Lord. But in that moment of weakness, what did he do? He lost his bearing. He lost his focus on the creator and he tries to bow down to an angel creating that which God, worshiping that which God made rather than God as makers. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. Those things you're drawn to. You're drawn to give worship to, to, to give glory to that are not the creator himself. All the things of the world. <clears throat> Oftentimes, it's for the Christian, the mature believer, it's good things. Right? It's the blessings that God has given you that you actually begin to worship rather than the one who gave the blessings. It's the parent who idolizes rather than biblically trains up the child. Right? The ch- children are a blessing from God, but if you idolize your child, you worship your child over the one who gave you children. It's the employee making work. Listen, in this valley... It's the employee making work and not the kingdom of God, their first priority. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his glory, and then all these other things, including your job, will be given unto you. It's the investor finding joy 
in their profit margin rather than their eternal standing in Jesus Christ. It's the American Christian, listen, I'm going to try to say this without laughing. It's the American Christian who puts greater value in their freedoms than they do their obedience to the word of God. I know that's none of you, but we have a problem in this country with that. Every true Christian knows this struggle with Satan, the world, and our own flesh. We know what it's like to be drawn into that temptation of idolatry. This is not uncommon. The question is not, how could John do such a thing? We know how John did such a thing. We do it too. The question I want to ask before our last point is this. Is there anyone in your life helping you see it? Do you have two, three, four brothers and sisters in Christ that are helping you see the false worship that is very much in your life? And are they lovingly rebuking you like this angel did the apostle John? This is an angel speaking to an apostle of Jesus Christ. Much care needed to be heeded by the angel speaking to an apostle like this. And yet he said, you must not do that firmly, lovingly, but directly. You must not do that. It was a rebuke in love. Do you have people in your life like that? Do you have people who come alongside of you regularly and say, hey, you know what? I love you and, and I'm seeing in your life what seems like idolatry. And, and have you given them permission to speak into your life? Have you said, listen, I'm an open book. If you're going to love me, then really love me. Show me the things that I'm attracted to that are not ultimately God. Show me the things I'm putting my value in that are not Christ. Is there anybody like that? This is not a hypothetical question. It's a rhetorical question. So ask and answer it. Do you have those people that know and love you and are going to help you. They're going to point out the idols. They're going to show you where your allegiance has gone astray and draw you back to the cross of Christ. You know what's fascinating? This, this mishap by John, it's sandwiched between verses 7 and verse 10, both with warnings of time. Look at verse 7 again. Verse 7 says, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon. And then the angel, or Jesus in verse 10 says, The time is near. In other words, false worship, misplaced worship is always dangerous all the time because Jesus is always imminently coming. Did you hear that? False worship is always dangerous all the time because Jesus is always imminently coming. At no point in time is it safe for you to bow down to an idol. Not for a moment. Not for a second. I've often thought how horrible to be in sin and Christ to come at that moment. Or how horrible to be in sin and him to bring you home at that moment. And that's your entrance into his presence. Bowing down to an idol, engaging in sin willfully and knowingly. It's a horrifying thought. I believe the reason, or one of the reasons, that this section of John's worship of the angels here and between the behold I'm coming and the time is near is to remind us that there's no safe time to sin. There's no safe time for idolatry, beloved. Do not be the scoffer of 2 Peter 3, saying, it's always been the same. You say he's coming, but when's he gonna come? I can continue my sin, at least for a while, until I get older, until I get nearer the grave. Who do you have? Who loves you like that? And who are you loving like that? Who loves you like that to speak hard truths into your life? And who are you loving? Who are you helping stay upon that narrow path? Listen, do not rely upon your spouse. No offense to my spouse. She's not sufficient to guard my heart. That's why we have the church. Do not rely upon family members only, sons and daughters. Do not rely upon just your immediate family, even if they're all Christians. The church was given that we might have brothers and sisters outside of our family, outside of our marriage, who will speak hard truths into our lives. Family sins are embraced by families. Oftentimes a family won't even see their own sin until someone from the outside points it out. And even more problematic, families struggle speaking the truth because they know if I breach truth here, I lose my biological family. And so we get really quiet at dinner tables, right? 
You need more than your spouse. You need more than your parents. You need more than your children. You need brothers and sisters, blood-bought in Christ, to be like this angel in your life. And if you don't have one, then don't let this week pass. Call a few people in the church and say, hey, listen, I'm a covenant member with you. I need your help. You need to love me like this. And if they say no, then they're in trouble. <laughs> right? They won't, though. They won't. I know you won't. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. All right. Jesus, he's coming soon, so keep his word. He's coming soon, so worship God alone. I'll give you one more. And you say, where am I getting this? I'm going to show you where I get it. Jesus is coming soon, so tell the nations. He's like, you're going to really make this missional? I am, because it's a missional passage. Look at verse 10. And he, the angel, said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now, this is an amazing thing. This angel is almost quoting verbatim Daniel chapter 12. Isn't that an amazing thing? God speaks to the prophets, and even the angels are quoting the prophets. You see, Daniel received very, very similar visions to to John about the end of days. Um, In some places, they're they're almost word for word. Um, But when Daniel received it, listen, Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, when Daniel received these visions about the end of days, he was told to shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. That word seal, it can mean to hide or to keep secret or to keep veiled. Daniel was told not to tell people not to let it be known. You know, that's, a, that's kind of an odd thing. Why, why is Daniel to, told to shut it up and, and John here is told not to seal it? Why, is it? why is that happening? Because when Daniel received his prophecy, the end was not at hand. When John is receiving it, it says the end has what? It has come. The last day started with Jesus Christ coming to earth dying and rising from the dead. So we are in those last days. And so the angel says to John, don't seal this up, don't hide it, don't keep it secret. What? Tell everybody. Tell the churches, tell the nations, tell the lost that this is how the story ends. And that means, my beloved, we have, we have the great privilege and I would say great responsibility not only to hear how this story ends according to the book of Revelation and understand it and live in accordance with it for all the reasons we just talked about. But we have a responsibility to unseal the book. So what does that mean? That means to understand it and tell others about it. To tell others how God's story ends. Right now, and most of you know this already even before we started this 10 months ago. You know that Jesus is coming again in glory. You know that. He's coming with the angels and the saints. You know he's going to establish his reign here on earth. You know he's going to judge. You know he's going to redeem. You know now that he's going to create this eternal city where he calls his people, the church, to dwell with him and the Father and the Spirit forever and ever. You know the end of the story. And that means all those in your mission field who do not know Christ, right now, if Christ were to come today, would know only judgment. And you know that. You know that. Look at verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Now, <laughs> the angel's not telling people not to repent, right? Um, if you remember, God invited all to come and drink from the, the river of life. Remember, Revelation 21, 6, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payments. He's invited everybody to come. This angel is, is not, this is not a fatalistic command telling people to continue to rebel. The angel, once again, is drawing directly from Daniel 12, and it is a warning not to continue in this state. Listen to Daniel, Daniel 12, 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. We'll look at that next week. But the wicked shall act wickedly And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. In other words, when the book is unsealed, Daniel was told to keep it sealed. John said, was told, unseal the book, tell the nations. Even when that happens, the angel is making it known to John that many will continue in their wicked ways. Many will hear the gospel. 
They'll hear the end of the story. They'll hear of the judgment. They'll hear of the salvation and the hope in Christ, but they will continue in their wickedness. Not because there's anything wrong with the message, my beloved. Don't think that. And, and possibly nothing wrong with you, the messenger. But in those last days, we know that the human heart will hear and refuse Christ. Many of you have experienced that in your lives, have you not? Have you not shared the gospel with some people multiple times and multiple times they said what? I do not believe, I do not agree, I do not think you're right, I don't think there's a Christ, I don't think there's a God, I don't think there's a judgment. You say, how could that possibly be? Their hearts remain in rebellion. Ezekiel, similar prophecy, Ezekiel 3.27, he who will hear, let him hear, and he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a what? A rebellious house. A rebellious house. The unsealing of the message will go out. People will hear it. But many in these last days, because their hearts are rebellious through and through, will not believe. Now, if that's a true statement, and I believe it is, and I think that our lives testify to that as well, there are two major implications for you. First, we must not let the, the response to the gospel detour us from sharing and telling the gospel. Now, that, that's easy to say. I know that. But we cannot, in light of this, this teaching, we cannot keep the gospel sealed. We cannot keep the end of the story sealed. We're being told in advance, many, if not most, are gonna reject it. But you must keep sowing. You must keep telling. Do not become discouraged when you see, verse 11, evildoers still doing evil and the filthy still being filthy. The apostle Paul had to encourage Timothy like this when he was talking about the last days. Listen to Paul his words to Timothy, they apply to us as a church. Paul said, in the last days will come difficult times. For people, listen, will be lovers of self. Tell me this is not our cultural moment. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Is that Silicon Valley? Evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Paul's saying to Timothy, listen, it's gonna get bad. But then Paul says to Timothy, and this is, the admonition to us as well. But as for you, Christian, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. These teachings, Paul said, they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We've got to guard our hearts, my beloved. Do not become cynical at work, in your neighborhood, with your family, with your friends. Do not become cynical with this perpetual rejection of the end of this story. Do not become discouraged. Continue to sow. Continue to unveil. Right? We're supposed to sow the seed. We're supposed to water the seed. We're supposed to fertilize the seed. But it's Christ who brings the harvest. You know that. You can't save anybody. But Christ can save anyone he so decrees. And so we must not be discouraged. We must continue to unseal the teachings of this book. But there's a second implication for, for us and, and maybe one that's harder for us. If the evil will remain evil, then we want to make sure that as we see the world in its perpetual march into darkness, that we're not deterred from the path of righteousness. Right? It's easy at times to, to see all those around us behaving in a particular way and thinking, well, you know what? They're doing it, and, and I don't see them being struck by lightning. I don't see God punishing them. Maybe I can do it too, and it will be okay. Um, we are, in verse 11, the righteous, we must still do right. As holy people, we must still be holy. How long? All the way to the end. All the way until that day when Christ comes or until he calls you into his presence. Look at verse 12 again. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And then he says in verse 13, we've already looked at this in Revelation 21, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so he claims this title, this authority of the sovereign almighty God. In Revelation 21, if you remember, he said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And that, that means he had the power to make all things new. The new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Here, though, he's claiming the title, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to have authority to what? To give to each person their eternal recompense to pay every single human being on that day what they deserve, what they have earned as a human being. 
Look at verse 12 again. To repay each one for what he has done. Now, we looked at this in Revelation 20. We looked at the books, right? We had the book of life and we had the books, which are the ledgers of the lives of every single human being, every word, every thought, and every action in the book. And, and Jesus made it clear it was resurrection of life to those who walk in righteousness and a resurrection of judgment to those who walk in unrighteousness. And this is not a contradiction to the gospel of grace. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's how your name ends up in the book of life. But if you are truly saved, then your life will be corroborated by what? By good works, by righteousness, by things that God will record in the books. People will see you. People will know you as a disciple of Jesus Christ based upon your good works. The ledger will reflect one or the other. Either you're truly being in Christ or being the evildoer doing evil or the filthy being filthy. So this idea of repayment is either a warning or a promise. It's a, a warning of judgment for those who are outside of Christ and continue to live unrighteous lives. And it's a warning, it's a promise to all those in Christ who are in fact living a righteous life. Jesus said, John 5, 29, those who have done good will what? Good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Which means we want to press on in righteousness even when it's really, really hard. We, we want to continue striving for loving obedience to our Lord even when it's really hard in this life. We want our lives to be living testimonies, don't we, to the work of Christ on the cross. We want our works to testify to the work of Christ on the cross, that he in fact did ascend the cross, that he did die for our sins, that we have forgiveness, that we can be washed clean and made new, and in our newness that we can actually live by the power of the Spirit lives that are pleasing to God. And I would argue, my beloved, as I close, it's necessary to tell the nations this, is it not? It does us no good to proclaim the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you or the fact that you're redeemed in Christ and this is the glorious end of your story if you are not living that life. If you testify to Christ and you live contrary to the Christ, the world will know you're a hypocrite too. And if, they, if they're bold enough, they will tell you as Christ told the Pharisees in the New Testament. I don't know if you remember, um, some of you were here, many of you were here, during Renata's baptism. You remember, her, remember Renata's testimony? Um, that's, by the way, it's one of my favorite parts about baptism. I love hearing the personal testimonies of those who are, who are being baptized before the church. Um, Renata testified to God drawing her in, not so much by Marissa's, her daughter, by Marissa's testimony of words. Marissa had testified to the gospel to her mom multiple times. But what God used to captivate Renata's heart was Marissa's life. She saw Marissa striving to keep God's word, not just to understand it, but to actually keep it, striving to, not perfectly, but trying. She saw in her daughter this desire to worship God alone and crucifying idols and trying to put them to death. She saw her daughter not only telling her but others about Jesus Christ and the gospel of grace and the end of the story. And she saw in Marissa a joy that was unexplainable. And that, of course, is her relationship with Christ and the dwelling of the Spirit. And even though Marissa was faithful to tell her mom over and over again, it was Marissa's keeping, it was Marissa's worshiping, and it was Marissa's telling that God used to draw Renata into eternal life. And so Renata came to a saving grace she got baptized, she joined us here, and now Renata is the one striving to keep God's word, to worship God alone, and tell the nations. And she has, and we are thankful. Even her own mother has come to a saving grace in Jesus Christ. Friends, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end has revealed the end of the story. We know the end of the story. We are not only to keep God's word and worship God alone, but we have the responsibility and I would say the great privilege to tell others about it. It's not like you're going to be engaged in a spoiler of a good movie. You want to tell people how the story ends. They need to know it. Most do not know. Most have no idea, my beloved, that 
apart from Christ, judgment awaits them. Most in your mission field. Most have no idea that there's, there's hope and salvation for those in Christ. Most have no idea. Real hope through a crucified, risen Savior. They do not know. Christ offers them life instead of death. He offers them obe- obedience instead of disobedience. He offers them true worship of the living God instead of all these idols who have no power to save. He offers them this eternal life. So I'll end on this question. Will you tell them? Jesus is coming soon. Will you be a faithful messenger and tell them? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if nothing else, I ask that you would remind us this day that your son is coming very, very soon. That the time is in fact near. Even more near than it was when you gave these visions to the Apostle John. In light of that nearness, Father, I pray that we would be a a church that obeys your word. I pray that we'd be a church that worships you and you alone. And I pray in that keeping and worshiping, Father, we would tell We would tell all those in our mission field that do not know you how this story ends. It is such a glorious ending for those in Christ and it is infinitely horrific for those who do not know the Lord. We know this, Lord. Let us not keep it sealed. Let us unseal it as you told John and tell the world so they too might know Christ and bring you honor and glory. I ask that you would do this, that you would answer these prayers for the blessings of this church and for your glory in Christ's holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Christ Community Church is a Reformed Baptist church in San Jose, California. If you'd like more information on our church, please visit lovinglord.org. From there, you can find service times, weekly gatherings, our sermon archive, and other resources. For video content, please visit our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you again for listening.